0: Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Dorrellstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org. To learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning
1: in. Today's New Testament reading comes from the second letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, chapter 3, beginning on verse 6. This can be found on page 207 of the Pew Bible. Putting today's reading in context, Paul, Paul was instructing the people to exercise church discipline on those refusing to work. He commanded them to disassociate from those who wouldn't change their ways. Paul heard many excuses from the idlers and was losing his patience. Please listen to the word of the Lord. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we did not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat, for we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work at all. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. I don't remember the first time I heard that concept, but in the years afterwards, heard it cited in all kinds of places. As It didn't matter whether one was talking about a civic organization or their book club, their youth sports league or alumni association, there would be those who would seem to state as fact that only a small number in that group will ever be sharing their gifts. All of those are examples of something known as the Pareto Principle. It was developed in the late 1800s by an Italian economist named Vilfredo Pareto. It started one day when he noticed in his garden that 80% of the pea pods came from 20% of the plants. And as he further explored that concept, he found other settings where that same percentage seemed to be true. And so today we hear that same 80-20 norm cited in all kinds of circumstances. As it said that 80% of the crimes are presented or carried out by 20% of those who have been convicted, that 80% of car accidents occur due to 20% of licensed drivers, and that 80% of complaints come from a company's 20% of their customer base. There are other examples like that. And it has been cited in church circles too. My undergraduate degree is in economics, and yet I have always resisted that principle to be explaining some unchangeable norm in the life of the church. For whenever that is acted upon, it seems to me that it causes members of the church or staff to stop once 20% of the congregation is in some way using their gifts, which means that a large number of a body of faith never get to experience the joy that comes when they share their talents in a particular way. So this morning, I'd like to speak about that principle as it applies to life at the Doylestown Presbyterian Church. And to do so, as always, by beginning with scripture. The passage that Jim read for us a few minutes ago, of course, makes no reference to a Pareto principle, but over the course of those verses, as we listen in, we do hear how the Apostle Paul is upset that 100% of the congregation is not acting as they think they, he thinks they should. And so he seeks to change that pattern and does so through means that I would claim are a questionable approach. Those words came from the second letter Paul had written to the church in Thessalonica. He visited that community as part of his second missionary journey. And even though he was forced to leave by persons who felt threatened by the message, His work bore fruit as a strong congregation was established. In his first letter to them, he's encouraging them to remain faithful despite persecution that they are facing. And in the second letter, he often repeats that same theme, but in the verses we heard, he's talking only to the members frustrated by something he sees happening in the life of the congregation. As he says to them, Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. We're not told exactly what it is that Paul is upset about, what behavior is not being modeled by many in that congregation. But he does go on and speak of how individuals are being idle, a term that also could mean disruptive or or somehow just stirring up trouble. He encourages the individuals in that congregation to follow his own example of how he worked day and night so as not to be a burden on anyone else. And then he turns his attention back to those who aren't following his example. For we hear, he said, that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. And then he goes on and concludes this part of his letter by saying, brothers and sisters, do do not be weary in doing what is right. Now keep in mind, this letter, like all the ones found in the New Testament, were written to be read in the context of a worship service. And so what that means is that everyone in that Thessalonian body of faith was sitting together when they heard Paul's words to them. Now the Bible doesn't give us any report of the reaction to this letter but I think we know enough about human behavior to have some understanding of what probably occurred. As those in that church, who were being praised by Paul's words, felt the love without a doubt, but like it looked upon others with kind of a sense of dismay. And those who were sitting in that room, hearing themselves being described as idle, busybodies who weren't doing any work, I can't believe that any of them were encouraged to change their pattern. And instead, likely were very angry. At the very least, Paul's approach suggests to me that he is not the source of that idiom in our culture of you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. And yet even though I reject the way he went about it. Even though I think Paul really was going about it entirely an inappropriate way, I know what he was about. He was concerned because there were individuals in that church who weren't experiencing the blessing and the deepening faith that came about through sharing their gifts. And he knew of the difference it would make for them and for that body of believers i understand and share in that that idea because i am convinced that the offering of those kinds of gifts make all the difference for the one who is offering them and for this body of faith too and so while i concur in what he was seeking to accomplish I want to go about this whole topic in a different fashion. In a few minutes, I wanna share with you some testimonials from some of your fellow members. But before doing that, let me say a couple things about what I see happening in our life of faith in that regard. One of the things that we have always sought to act upon in our shared life, is broadening the number of individuals who are using their gifts in the life of this church. We've seen examples of that during the past year, as the session appointed seven people to a mission study task group and five individuals to a transitional pastor search committee. The congregation elected 16 individuals to serve as deacons or ruling elders, and just a few weeks ago elected nine persons to serve on a pastor nominating committee. None of those 37 individuals overlap. And that is our goal, always to broaden the number of people who are using their gifts in the life of our church. And yet one of the realities, one of the things that has been slow to change since the pandemic, is that more broad use and sharing of talents in our congregation. There are some gaps, for instance, in terms of the volunteers we need for any worship service, of ushers and greeters, lay leaders, or nursery helpers. There are some gaps in some of our committees, not only in the number of people who can help carry out that important work, but those individuals who are available during the day and the week to act upon some of those activities. There's some gaps in terms of the number of individuals serving as leaders in our growth groups, those smaller gatherings of individuals who for six to ten weeks. We'll study a book or a podcast, share in fellowship and prayer and support of one another. I want to be really clear that I don't consider any of those gaps to be reflective of idleness or busybodies. That's Paul's language, not mine. And yet, in my 36 years as a pastor, I have always been aware of the blessings that come from members when they share their gifts and of some of what holds people back, their schedules, their place in life, they're feeling ill-equipped, wondering if they can make any kind of difference. And so, in trying to think about that goal that Paul and I share, I decided on a different approach. About 10 days ago, I made my own list of just some of the people in DPC who widely share their time and talents with our body of faith. I intentionally tried to think of people who are lifelong Presbyterians and some who have come here from a different Christian tradition, some who have been members all of their days, some for a decade or more, and then some who have joined only in the past few years. To all of them, I sent an email. And I learned recently how to blind copy emails (laughs) so that no one who received one knew who else was getting an email from me. And, but the thing I asked of them was the same three questions. How was it that you first became involved in sharing your gifts with our church? What difference has that made for you over the years? And then what counsel would you give to those who have been hesitant or maybe those who haven't been involved in that way in recent years? Encouragement to take that step. I loved reading the responses. Let me share with you just some of what your fellow members had to say. In telling of the impact of their service here upon themselves, one person wrote, each time I engage fully and freely, I've been rewarded with personal growth, new friendships, and greater awareness of the needs of our community of faith, as well as those around us. Another member said, my connection to DPC and witnessing the countless people here who are reliably the hands and feet and heart of Christ in my life, has shaped my faith and my call to service. Another one shared, the more time I had to devote to church-related activities, the more I enjoyed them, in large part because of the opportunities to get to know members of the church and to do something worthwhile at the same time. And still another member in speaking of a particular ministry here said, this opportunity has not only strengthened my faith and trust in God and learning to listen to His guidance, but has given me an opportunity to get to know fellow church members in ways and at a level that I would never have had had I not volunteered. While one more added, getting involved has been a double blessing. Serving God's children in need with the added joy of making very special friends, some for a lifetime. On the question of how they first became involved here, several respondents did not answer that question. Maybe they didn't recall moving on to other things. But among those who did, there was a consistent theme of how someone, the very first time, whether it was a fellow member or a member of the staff here, someone asked them personally to help. That beginning paved the way. As one wrote, I remembered how nice it felt to be asked for feedback. I felt seen in some way that what I had to offer had value to the DPC community. One who grew up here and remains active to this day told me, I witnessed adults taking the time to be present with me as a teenager to truly see me and know me, and those feelings I will never forget. As a brand new member, another one wrote, I didn't think I could meaningfully contribute to DPC. However, I quickly found that my own past experiences could lend a valuable voice to the conversation around where we can initiate mission efforts, both locally and globally. Still another one simply said, the majority of my involvement has always come from being asked by others. And then went on to say, nagging also helps. (laughs) Lastly, when it came to encouragement that they had to offer for those who have not taken that step yet, or maybe not in a period of time, there are all kinds of wonderful suggestions. Among them was one who offered this practical counsel. Do something with a friend. Choose an area of special interest. Check out an adult ed offering, but start by adding one thing in addition to Sunday worship service. Another one wanted me to say to you, please do not allow intimidation to keep you from getting involved. There's a place for you and a need for your special skills in this church family. You will meet other members who inspire you and find ways to contribute that will feed your soul. And then there was this newer member who said, throughout the Bible, the Lord uses plenty of people who think they aren't enough. He is still in the business of using people who think they are unprepared, underqualified, or too busy to help out. And there are immense blessings, she concluded, for each of us when we trust in him to use us as his hands and feet. Not one of those people began their involvement here by being elected as a church officer. And yet, ultimately, all of them came to serve in that role as well. Many of them expressed the thought years ago, a feeling that there really was nothing for which they were qualified or a way that they could help here. And yet, all of them spoke of the great joy, the deepening faith, the closer bonds they felt with one another in this church because they took that first step, and in what has happened since. So, if there are those of you here watching us online, those who have not yet been involved in that way or haven't been in a while, I would encourage you to speak to one of your pastors or to Chris Graham Rawlings, our member engagement coordinator, to help take that first step. To those of you who have already been engaged in that kind of way, and to my fellow staff members, would remind you of the importance of you asking someone to help you with a particular task. I can't say with certainty exactly what will come as a result of that, but what I am confident of is the difference it will make for you and for them and for this body of faith. For my my dream, quite frankly, is of a place in time when those gifts are being used so broadly that any time one of you hears someone else speak of an 80-20 percentage as a rule, that you will smile while thinking to yourself, that may be true of your group, but it is not true of my life at my church. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for the ways that you call and equip, for the ways that you lead and provide. We pray that you will continue to strengthen us as a body of faith, as individuals use those talents and gifts that have come from you, knowing that when they are freely offered, it makes all the difference in their life and the life of this community too. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.